Volume Two, Chapter Four of *The Rebel Rose* by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: What Would You Have Me Do? Mary Beaton came down to breakfast the next morning, apparently in as light spirits as at dinner the previous evening. She chattered frivolously to Bellarmin and playfully abused him for acting the Tory and being at heart the radical she too had determined that her manner should give no indication of any serious thought about him either personal or political and if occasionally they both relapsed from their prescribed parts it was only when they were alone and so to speak off their guard she teased the prince of saragossa and rallied falcon upon his unsociability in a way that certainly did not tend to put that veteran into good humour to the two priests and lord stonehenge she was quite different womanly sweet and faintly deferential it was as if she wished the priest to understand that she reverenced their office and to convey to lord stonehenge that his curious outburst of the night before had made no impression upon her except to increase her friendly regard this was not quite the case however mary had passed a perturbed night and was putting some strain upon herself this morning of course she knew now that it rested with her to become lord stonehenge's wife she had no thought of being his wife she had never considered such a prospect as within the range of things possible to her but she was touched nevertheless the more touched because he had wooed her so delicately and in such courtier-like fashion she knew that he would never definitely press his suit and he had so phrased it as to leave her the choice of accepting his true meaning he had given her to understand that it was for her if she pleased to stretch out her hand to him as might a queen whose rank did not permit her lover to approach her on equal terms and he had also made it clear to her that if she did not choose to regard him in the light of a lover she had the right to demand and it would be his joy to tender the loyalty and devotion of a subject such chivalrous homage far-fetched though it might be was well calculated to thrill the heart of a young girl with womanly pride and tender exultation a little later falcon with much formality requested an audience mary bade him come to her in the boudoir of the suite of apartments which stonehenge with much forethought and study of her fancies had caused to be arranged for her use she was tired and a little overwrought and preoccupied and in no mood for his querulous reproaches on her thoughtless way of talking her want of dignity her failure to appreciate the gravity of the occasion and the necessity for ruling her conduct in such a manner as to further the objects they had in view instead of retarding them you have not come to stonehenge park for a mere holiday madame said falcon in a tone severe as though he were chiding a naughty schoolgirl it is not only for amusement that the guests under this roof have been brought together indeed general there seems to me little likelihood of amusement under this roof or any other while you represent the skeleton at the feast i thought that when people went out of town for the whitsuntide recess they usually called it a holiday you understand my meaning perfectly madame 
you were not so blind to your interests when we first came to london to judge by your manner general falcon retorted mary i did not seem to play my part any more to your satisfaction in london than i appear to do here oh i wish you would play a part any part that pleases you so long as you chose it out and kept to it madame replied falcon gruffly but you act a dozen different parts a day just as the humour takes you assign me a part then my good falcon and i'll do my very best to play it and to keep to it for the whole of this day i want you to impress that young man bellarmin more than you do he is a rising man they tell me and he might do service he seems well inclined mary glanced at falcon in surprise there seemed to her something covert dangerous in his tone a sort of studied self-repression he corrected himself i don't like him exclaimed the old man with a sudden gesture that betrayed more than the words i suffer when i see him with you my princess he went on with something of pathetic appeal it wounds me it offends me it is sometimes more than i can bear you general began mary falteringly how what would you have me do my liking or my disliking is not to the point falcon answered resuming his former tone everything everything of that sort should be subservient to your interest we are playing a game a great political game so you have often told me said mary wearily and in good truth general i am tired of the pastime that is how you regard it yes crowns hearts fortunes the divine rights which you have inherited from your ancestors what are they to you only a part of the pastime which you relished at first and which is now becoming tiresome to you he paused for a moment mary stood silent conscience-stricken perhaps madame i want you to impress this young man whose political influence can be turned to our service you have your part to play towards him as towards champion trestle the rest is it too much to ask that you will play it becomingly a demure little smile flickered on mary's lips she said with a spark of girlish mischief i had a faint hope general that i was making some sort of impression on mr bellarmin is that your sense of what is befitting for you you that you should act the schoolgirl the hoyden run about the garden at night play silly pranks sing music-hall songs mary flushed a deep crimson she drew herself up in as stately a fashion as he could have wished now general falcon you go too far we have had enough of this madame if i go too far as you say it is because for the sake of your dignity i dare to make you angry i speak at least with the authority which was committed to me by your father any allusion to her dead parents instantly turned the current of mary beaton's displeasure well she said in a softer tone but speak gently and remember she hesitated and smiled again this time sadly remember that i am only a girl madame he replied not noticing her last words you know what i mean 
the pretty levity which might very fittingly attract a man of sir victor champion's age and great qualities and renown and to which in that case i have nothing to say would be out of place with a man so much younger so much less distinguished i want you to impress mr bellarmin with the sense of your position of your personal dignity as well as the dignity which you inherit i want you to show yourself a princess the descendant of a line of kings he comes of the middle class that hateful english middle class they respect only those who look down on them and keep them at a distance a man must be a gentleman more an aristocrat to understand that a princess may be friendly with him and remain a princess still mr bellarmin seems to me a very perfect gentleman said mary quite a chivalrous sort of youth and on the old feudal pattern is that english middle class well i approve of english middle class and sir victor champion he is not middle class then since i am to be permitted a touch of levity in my manner to him you wilfully misunderstand and mock at me levity is too strong a word i should not have used it you have a certain manner ah i know its charm a girlish impulsiveness which to a statesman of mature years would be but a delicate compliment a condescension i see rank may stoop to elderly renown but tell me i am curious is sir victor champion middle class he comes of the middle class yes then through all my condescension i must impress him too with a sense of my dignity you must madame i especially request it observe i want to learn my part which seems a complicated and rather contradictory one is there anybody else general falcon to whom i may be affable or must be haughty any one who is to be impressed with a sense of my dignity yes yes there is madame one for whom it is far more needed than for any other indeed dear falcon and who may that person be yourself madame mary laughed gleefully i thought we were coming to that she said well now what about lord stonehenge her voice faltered a little she gave him a furtive glance from beneath her drooped lashes how am i to comport myself with regard to him he is an aristocrat i suppose you will concede that an equal to drawing subtle distinctions is it to be a case of dignity or impudence madame don't be shocked i was only alluding to the name of a picture landseer's don't you remember no madame i don't said falcon decisively with the air of one who turns the picture to the wall but i wanted to speak to you about lord stonehenge i am glad you brought up his name i am glad i did anything right general well play off champion and yes and this young bellarmin against stonehenge and the priests falcon said with a sudden vehemence that almost startled mary accustomed as she was to his changing moods let stonehenge see that you have other friends i don't understand you at all this time my good falcon tell me what do you mean i don't distrust lord stonehenge falcon said hurriedly i don't wish you to distrust him but we must show him that we have other friends 
about these money claims he is of no use at all he can't be of any use we must look to champion for that lord stonehenge had better get to know that and be reminded that there are higher claims that not he nor any man on earth must talk of compromising general falcon mary spoke very gravely i cannot understand why you speak in such a way of lord stonehenge if any woman ever had a true friend i have one in lord stonehenge do you think i don't know that he is as true to me as-as yourself she turned on him a searching half-alarmed look which seemed to disconcert falcon for he lowered his eyes to the ground i will play no part with him or with anybody i will be myself what god made me princess or no princess what do i care ah yes i do care do not be afraid general that i shall act in any way unworthy of my stuart blood i will keep my own self-respect i will not stoop to intrigue or double dealing i am a stuart yes but i am an honest english girl and-and i will not play off mr bellarmin against lord stonehenge or lord stonehenge against mr bellarmin or sir victor against either oh you make things too hard for me is there nothing due to myself am i to have no consideration because i am a steward and have claims and rights which sometimes heaven forgive me seem as shadowy and unreal as if i were a stage princess and nothing more because of these am i not to be allowed the rights and the feelings that other girls have no i can't bear it i will not have it falcon tears gushed from mary's eyes an hysterical sob choked her voice she waved her hand in an agitated manner in sign that falcon should leave her he bent on his knee at her feet and kissed the hand with which she was dismissing him oh my queen he exclaimed passionately it is because you are the girl the woman that i seem hard with you because you are so adorable because oh how can i explain mary forgive me have patience with me i forgive you general if i have anything to forgive said mary recovering herself at the sight of his agitation but i am tired and a little overdone and i am weary of all this talk about playing parts and securing allies let me be for the present and when i am enjoying the roses and the moonlight and-and don jose's fun don't frown upon me and poison all my harmless pleasure it's only for a few days general let me be happy for a few days he left her and for the rest of that day was soft and tender in his manner as she could wish i fancy the zeal of your house has eaten him up said bellarmin he spoke of general falcon whose moody manner had been the subject of discussion if indeed that could be called discussion in which mary's part consisted only of constrained and embarrassed answers they were walking alone together on the grounds of stonehenge and their footsteps had turned towards a little pine forest not far from the house which was one of mary's favourite resorts mary was grave and seemed depressed bellarmin was grave too sir victor champion was to arrive that day he was concerned also on mary's account he feared that her poor little project would only break to pieces among all the schemes that were going on and he was daily growing to have more and more distrust of the discretion of general falcon 
there was a little summer house standing on the green moss just at the pine wood's edge let us go in mary said abruptly i want to sit in that summer house it is of bark and it reminds me of carl august's summer house of bark that goethe was so fond of in the park at weimar don't you remember no i never was at weimar how strange why don't you go at once he did not particularly want to go anywhere at the time away from the spot where they were standing i am so busy with politics he said i am tied to london he spoke almost sullenly he was a little vexed with her for dropping the subject of falcon she seemed to guess his thoughts for she said in a meditative but resolute manner as she sat down on one of the bark seats yes i know it indeed i am afraid falcon makes a conscience out of me he compels himself to believe that whatever is of advantage to me is the right thing to do i almost think i could make him run away from a battle if i could only appear at the critical moment and tell him that it would interfere with my plans if he did not instantly quit the field it is very serious having the soul of a grown man thus on one's conscience i have an instinctive impression that general falcon doesn't like me bellarmin said i am sorry for i wanted to like him he hardly takes any pains to conceal his dislike oh that is it he thinks you are too light and frivolous i fancy miss beaton said with an evident effort to seem unconcerned and then i don't suppose he takes much to any one who interests or amuses me he has not really any conscientious objection to my being amused but he thinks i ought to be amused in a more queenly sort of way i should not be surprised if he were to get it into his mind that you abet me in my frivolity instead of discouraging me but pray don't try to win his affections by joining with him to discourage me life is in general a very melancholy piece of business mr bellarmin the sadness seems to peep out upon us from all sides as something gruesome appears to do sometimes when we are walking in the dark don't you know and i think we want every help to get us out of the gloom and the morbidness as often as we can at least i find it so she said with a half-suppressed sigh yet surely life must have been very bright and happy for you bellarmin said in a tone of the deepest interest you think so why said mary turning upon him with a sort of mournful solemnity because my mother died when i was only a child because my father died when i was only a girl because i have no kith or kin who are in any true way dear to me because i have to live the life of a sham princess because i am surrounded by a tiny mock court because i have to do the things i don't want to do and can hardly ever do any of the things i want to do because i have always been walled about with forms and ceremonies and because i know that i am a centre of all manner of plans and schemes which are not likely to come to anything because i hardly ever knew any young people or could talk to other girls freely because oh a lot of other becauses which i don't mean to run through if all this means happiness then indeed god a mercy i am the very happiest young woman in england 
Bellarmin was infinitely touched by her words, which seemed to him but the echo of some of his own thoughts. He was impressed, too, by the evidence of the clear good sense and reasonableness which her little speech contained. It broke down all the barriers of reserve he had set up within himself. "'Madame,' he said, with a certain diffidence, and yet with impulsive earnestness, "'may I speak to you a little freely? You will not take offence at what I say?' She fixed her deep, soft eyes on him. "'Yes. Say what you like, Mr. Bellarmin. I know you would not say anything which was meant to wound or to vex me. I am not a woman to take offence at the words of a friend. It is this. Why allow yourself to be employed in these visionary schemes? Why keep chasing a phantom? You must have seen for yourself long ago that there is no chance, no hope, or even ghost of a chance. Why waste away the sweetest years of your life in an ambition which can come to nothing, and which I don't believe is your ambition at all. And it is Mr. Bellarmin who speaks to me in this way, she said with a dreamy, far-off look in her eyes. Mr. Bellarmin, of whom his friends and his enemies alike, say that he is the most ambitious man in England. Do they say that of me? Bellarmin asked, with a shadow coming over his face. He would have wished her just then to think of him as made for something better than mere political ambition. Yes, they say that of you. They say that you threw in your fortunes with the Tory party because you thought there were much better chances for a man of talent or genius or whatever it is with the Tories than with the Liberals. See how I have learned your political gossip and your political vocabulary already? Yes, they do say that. And do you know, Mr. Bellarmin, I was rather attracted by it. It seemed interesting, the idea of the young man thus letting his ambition go its own way. If I were a man, I should be in your house of commons. It seems to me the only place left now where the honorable ambition of a man of spirit can find outlet or goal. And you preach to me against ambition." I am not so ambitious as I was, he said slowly, at least in the same sort of way. I think differently about some things. I have altered my standard of value. I shall perhaps alter it more and more. Besides, even if I were acting only out of mere ambition, it is an ambition which has clear, practical objects before it, objects that one might in reason hope to attain." and mine has none such she said gravely i understand what you mean but you don't quite know what my secret ambition really was shall i tell you from my childhood up those around me kept telling me i was like mary stuart well it became my pride to be like her my one ambition to be more and more like her yes you can't know you couldn't know how this ambition filled my soul and governed almost every movement I made. To be like Mary Stuart, to captivate hearts of women as well as men just as she did, to be a great politician like her, even to go to the scaffold like her. That was my dream. It was charming enough over there, when one was a sort of star of a small court and had nobody near but those who flattered one's vanity and taught one to believe in oneself. But here... Well, one learns a different lesson. 
it is like coming straight from the dream of the morning into the cold hard life of a london street where you are jostled by a whole crowd and known by nobody my dream is over as she stood up and let her hands fall by her sides with the gesture of one who dismisses an illusion forever she looked more like mary stuart than she had ever seemed to bellarmin before his soul was filled with sympathy with pity with intense admiration from that dream he said softly who could wish to rouse you not i at least but the other illusion why encourage it why keep it up it can only end in the most utter disappointment even perhaps disaster she turned upon him vehemently passionately what would you have me do she asked live here in england and be happy since you like the place give up all the appearance and the retinue of a court the sham royalty drop the part of exiled princess you don't seem to like it or to believe in it any more than i do meet society as an englishwoman as the daughter of an english peer as what you are you will find in english life all you want all that even ambition can want and you will have the sense of being real she smiled a rather wan and melancholy smile yes they are right mr bellarmin you are an ambitious man perhaps all men are like that in one way or other don't you notice that you have not appealed to me by one single word which did not concern my personal ambition or my personal feelings of some kind why did you not tell me that if i settled down to the quiet life of a london lady i might have plenty of opportunities of doing some good for the poor and the miserable about whom you have so often heard me lamenting i suppose you suspected that there was nothing very deep and lasting in the tone of the lamentation that it was of the same order of sentiment as my sham mary stewardism and my sham pretensions to the place of a princess but do you know i think you were wrong i think you judged me wrongly i think if anyone could show me how i could better serve some unhappy human creatures i might be glad to give up my life and my claims and my aerial royalty and to live and die a benevolent old maid there i have been talking enough about myself and enough of nonsense for once and see mr bellarmin there is sir victor champion the statesman was coming towards them in the company of lord stonehenge and monsignor valmy he was deep in conversation with the priest and his fine intellectual head with its clear-cut features and rather long hair was bent in grave interest both mary and bellarmin noted the firm elastic manner of his tread his look of force and vitality and the dominance which his whole bearing suggested he is a great man said the girl almost below her breath yes he is a great man bellarmin answered sir victor's face lighted with pleasure and something more than pleasure at the sight of mary beaton his manner of greeting her was peculiar he took her two hands in his as a fatherly old friend might have done but he bowed over them with all the deference of a courtier End of volume two, chapter four.